adventurers. You're listening to the Adventure Within Reason podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm David. And we are talking about, I feel like we say we're talking about one of our favorite parks every episode, but we are talking about a park we've been to a few times now and are quite fond of, Miniopa State Park. Miniopa State Park, uh, episode 10. Um, I, yeah, I guess to, to respond to your comment, I don't think we've gone to a park yet that we've just been completely disappointed by, so... For all intents and purposes, every park is going to, you know, be our favorite when in that in the moment that we're talking about it. So just get used to it, I guess. So Miniopa, David, I don't know if you knew this, but it is the Dakota word for water falling twice. Did you know that? No, that's pretty cool. And we will get into why this park is named that uh, a little bit later. So we've now been to this park three times. We went first in November of 2021. Uh, which nope, 2020. Oh, 2020. Gosh, an entire year escaped me. <laughs> so we went first in November of 2020, which is when we first started uh, doing state park hikes together. And we went for two reasons. There, are, There is a beautiful waterfall at the state park, and there are bison at the state park. And we're going to talk about both in depth. But David, do you remember what you thought that first time we were there at the park? I remember what I thought. Uh, my first... I think you've been to Miniopa more times than I have, but you know, since we started doing these adventures... Um, I, have my, I happen to have my journal right in front of me, uh, just like, you know, recent episodes, I've been digging, digging, digging out the uh, Passport Club journal and reading my entries. Um, my entry for my first visit here was very brief because it was a very brief visit, so I just said, um, excuse me, and again, this was on November 1st of 2020. It was a cold yet sunny day, about 35 degrees, and I said, we, uh, we only stopped here long enough to take in the beauty of the double waterfall and observe the bison. We want to come back in the summer for a, a vegetarian barbecue picnic. We haven't done the barbecue picnic yet. We've been back twice since then, and it's a, it's a park worth revisiting. So um, even though it was cold that first day, I'd say my first impression was that this was a, yeah, a real winner of a park. Something else I like about it that you don't often get with state parks is that it is um, immediately adjacent to a small town or small city, uh, the city of uh, Mankato, Minnesota. So I like that. I like when you can visit a park and then, you know, stop in town and get all the creature comforts of, you know, human civilization, get, get a nice lunch, you know, use a, a flushing toilet, that kind of thing. So I like it for that reason. One of the things that we really like about this state park and something that we commented on from our first time there is there are quite a few picnic facilities. And by picnic facilities, we mean a pretty large uh, picnic shelter and quite a few picnic tables. And David, for the first time ever, I saw a horseshoe pit at this park. Did you see that? I didn't notice that. Yep. So it would be a really great place to, and Mankato is not terribly far from the Twin Cities, maybe an hour and a half. So it would be a really fun place to go to at the end of the summer or in the middle of the summer to just spend some time picnicking. We often talk about enjoying state parks as hiking because that's what we like to do. Uh, Miniopa is a great place to just stop in for a picnic and really enjoy the double waterfall, which is why this park is called Miniopa State Park, because they measure it in city blocks, actually. It's so close to the parking lot, maybe three city blocks from the parking lot. There is a huge double waterfall. And last summer, it was a little bit less impressive. Those of you who are not from Minnesota may not know that we were going through a pretty bad drought last summer, so the waterfall was not running as beautifully as it normally is. But we were just back and are happy to report that the waterfall is running gorgeously again. Yep. 
David, I know that on this most recent section, we saw quite a few birds. Do you remember what they were when we were sort of hiking down next to the waterfall? Got two words for the birding report this episode. Butter butt. We saw, <laughs> saw a lot of yellow-rumped warblers. In, in fact, um, well, before I tell you about those, before I tell you about the yellow-rumped warblers, let me just kind of paint a picture for you here. So um, as you kind of walk away from the picnic grounds and get closer to the, du- the double waterfall, there's a really amazing um, CCC project where they put in stairs going down to sort of the the foot of the waterfall. There's like a little ravine you can so you can hike around down there. You know, there's there's standing water. You can check out wildlife. Um, anyway, so it's it's a really nice uh, you know very short hike just down to the base of the waterfall. And as as Kelly and I were doing that a few weeks ago, things weren't totally springing back to life yet. It was still a little cold, a little rainy, but it was definitely kind of in that um, that transition window of things becoming nicer uh, uh, weather wise. And so as we got down to the this the base of this ravine, I saw probably more yellow-rumped warblers at once than I've ever seen in my life. It was dozens, if not hundreds, of yellow-rumped warblers, so much that, uh, uh, Kelly, you probably remember, I had kind of sensory overload where you have trouble focusing on one bird because there's, <laughs> there's so, much, so much activity around you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm sure there were other birds around. Um, I thought I saw uh, barn swallows at one point. They're, they're one of those birds that kind of spend most of their lives in the air because they eat insects and so they just kind of hover around maybe about 100 feet off the ground just you know trying to pick off mosquitoes and insects but obviously there's no mosquitoes right now but you know they're they're they they know that the bugs are not far off anyway um the birds i saw the most of were the yellow rumped warblers and it was just you know too many to count so it was a really nice just pretty hike along uh along the, the bottom of the waterfall and we actually got there pretty early. I, I don't think there were, had been anyone else there yet uh, that Saturday we were there. We actually got there right as the park opened, which if you've listened to the podcast, we try to make our MO as often as possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think as we were leaving, there was like there was another couple that were kind of starting their, their journey through the park. Yeah, we got there and basically had it to ourselves. It was just us and the birds and the, the soothing sounds of the water and... It was really, it was just really amazing. I, I know we've been kind of overusing this word lately, but it was just really beautiful to walk along the, uh, uh, I believe it was sandstone. Correct. San, san, excuse me. Sandstone was the uh, sort of the formation along the uh, the edge of the ravine, and you could see, you know, it, it's, it's a very soft uh, material, so people have kind of carved their initials in over the years and the decades, and so actually it was kind of hard to see a spot that hadn't been carved into, which is... I, I suppose both charming and also kind of sad because part of me wishes it was just kind of, you know, unadulterated, but I guess it's kind of cool to see people leave their mark on it. I don't I don't know that they're doing any damage necessarily. Yeah, one of those things you have to contend with is that this is a popular place. It's right next to a college town, so there's going to be a lot of people going down there who maybe aren't as interested in birds and, and waterfalls as they are getting drunk in a, in a place that is, uh, you know, away from Mm-hmm. prying eyes and things so i'm sure there's been you know a few a few parties going on down there over the years but when we were there it was just very calm and soothing and you know kind of what we're looking for uh, with an early morning hike yeah and we saw sort of the we saw our usual suspects for spring ephemerals lots of hepatica lots of bloodroot just sort of the basic flowers that we've been seeing basic does not mean bad it just means the ones that we're seeing a lot of right now David, any other thoughts on the waterfall area of the park? Yeah, I mean, like, geology is not my strong suit, so I can't really speak to, like, how this how this waterfall formed. Maybe that's something you can go into, or maybe 
Maybe we'll do another episode one day and someone can talk about that aspect of it. But just appreciating it on a surface level is just very, very, uh, very calm and very, very calming and very soothing. So, yeah. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the hiking club trail, which we did there last summer. I think we mm-hmm. were there end of July, early August. Sounds about right. Yeah, it was pretty hot, as I recall. So I think we were there kind of in the in the in the heat of the summer. So yeah, three three times for me now visiting this park. Yeah, the second time we did the the hiking club trail, which I think was. Do you remember how long it was? Like a mile and a half or two miles? I just looked it up. It's two point seven miles. Okay, two point seven, and it's a there and back trail, which means you start off. From uh, one point, generally near a parking lot, and then you'll walk to a far end, and sometimes there'll be like little deviations you can do if you wish, or you can just stick to the main trail, and then you just either loop around a trail or just turn around and come back. And so that's kind of, that's what this hiking club trail is, is you walk about, uh, help me divide 2.7 by 2, what is that, like <laughs> 1.3 or so, something like that? Yeah, one point. Three, five, probably. Yeah, so you, so you walk a little, basically you walk over a little a little over a mile. Yeah, if you go there in the summer, you'll see, you know, kind of the usual suspects with birds. But as I recall, we weren't really doing a lot of bird watching last summer when we did this because um, the, the hiking club trail sort of butts up right against the enclosure that the bison are in. So as I recall, we were kind of always on the lookout to see if we could see, a you know, a <laughs> buffalo or two in there, so... Yeah, as if a giant bison could have surprised us, but I was definitely on the lookout for that entire hike. Yeah. It's a nice hike. It's pretty flat. This would be a good one to take your kiddos on. There's a chance that you could see a bison herd up close, but the bison enclosure is 331 acres, so, you know, they've got some space to roam around. But towards the end of our hike, we got probably... Within 100 yards of them, I'm going to post some photos on the website, and again, this was last summer, but you will see me probably the happiest I've ever been standing near, and by near, I mean again, within 100 yards of of the herd of bison down at Miniopa. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I love American bison. They are a conservation success story. I have a lot to say about them, and we'll get there in a second, but... The Hiking Club Trail offers an opportunity to walk close to their enclosure. Just keep an eye on your kids. Keep your pets leashed. Respect respect nature always. Walk gently always. But really take the sign seriously and don't mess with the fence or the bison within. Yeah. yeah very easy hike. And, and again, we, you know, we don't say that to be dismissive. Just just descriptive. It's a, it's a very flat um, terrain. So it's a, it's a great hike to bring kids on. It's a great hike to do if you just don't want to exert yourself too much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that's all we have to say about the hiking club trail. This most recent visit, we actually took our rental car and drove it through the road. You can drive down, basically, like the, the it kind of just bisects the bison enclosure, right? It just kind of goes to the middle and kind of winds its way up a hill as you get toward the far end. Generally, the bison are not going to be right along that road. I, they, they tend to want a little bit of privacy. But you can, uh, if you bring some binoculars along, usually at least see, you know, part of the herd. And it's it's really amazing to watch these creatures, even though you're watching them from afar, and just uh, just appreciate just the majestic qualities that they have to offer. It's kind of a somber experience, too, obviously. I mean, um, these creatures used to just be everywhere across North America, and, and you know, we're not going to get into the whole history of... What happened with, you know, colonization and conquest, but they were basically intentionally wiped out, and now there's a very small number of them left. 
we're gonna we're gonna finish the episode with Kelly talking about uh, what what the conservation efforts look like with these with these bison. But first, uh, I'll give a very quick you know on, on a lighter note. I'll give a very quick uh, birding report. I didn't see a lot this most recent visit, but um, in addition to the yellow warblers we saw at the other end of the park, as we were driving through the the bison enclosure, I saw my first brown thrasher of the year. Oh, which, I forgot about that with his long tail, right? Yeah, pretty long, pretty long tail. Yeah, you know, as as we've said before, this is not a birding podcast, but I'll give a few characteristics of the brown thrasher, which is a bird I'm actually very fond of. Real quick, uh, incidentally, a, a couple years ago, I had the the privilege. Um, of, um, you know, I have my walking, you know, sort of treks I do in our neighborhood in southwest Minneapolis. And I was walking through a park near our apartment, and I noticed there was a brown thrasher building a nest in a, in a lilac bush. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you don't want to, like, go and stick your face right in the nest because then, you know, they might they might abandon the nest if you frighten them too much or they might, you know, in certain in some cases they might uh, try to attack you, you know. So you want to be respectful of, of, uh, of, of birds and, and nature in general. But I was able to kind of appreciate it from afar. So, but a, but a few quick notes I'll say about brown thrashers. I know you're eager to talk, Kelly. But oh, let me, let me. I just had like a bit of color to add to the brown thrasher story that you just told. I haven't told it yet, but go ahead. No, no, no. I meant the one from the lilac bush. Oh, okay. Go ahead. That was, dear listeners, when David and I had been dating for less than a year. Prob- oh my gosh, no, the first time. About a year. Yeah. I was still not into birding. I'm still not as much of a birder now. And once a week, David would take me to go visit the brown thrasher in the lilac bushes. And he was so excited about it. And it was just, I remember that moment very clearly from our relationship about how enthusiastic you were about this bird. And I was just like, I'm going to go smell the flowers, David. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, brown thrashers are not what you would call like... I mean, they're not a colorful bird, so I mean, if, if that's your metric for appreciating birds, you know, you're probably not going to be impressed by a brown thrasher. But you might be impressed by the fact that, um, based on my limited research, you know, just reading, uh, you know, amateur birding magazines and things like that, they apparently have the widest bird song repertoire of just about any bird in North America. Um, so, yeah, one of our more experienced birders out there, maybe you can comment when we post this episode and tell, tell us who the number one you know bird is in terms of song repertoire but is it a mockingbird <coughs> i don't know okay but anyway as we were driving through the bison enclosure we were uh at one point we put our window down and i just i heard what i thought was like like a cacophony of multiple birds singing and then i realized like i kind of looked to my left and i saw brown thrasher which is kind of a large brown bird maybe about twice as big as a robin the, one, of, one of the best telltale signs is like the long tail. Also, they have yellow eyes. So that's something you can kind of look for. And when you hear them singing, it sounds like a, like a bird symphony. There's just so many notes and it's just all over the place and it's uh, really exquisite to listen to. But yeah, I don't know. Was, it, was there more to uh, the birding report for this one? I think it was just that brown thrasher and several hundred <laughs> yellow rump warblers. <laughs> I think that Miniopa is probably... I imagine an interesting park for birders because you have on because the park we didn't talk about this the park is split into two separate areas there is the falls area and then what would you say maybe a mile a mile and a half away yeah maybe a mile you got to drive down a couple um you got to drive down a couple of little country roads or you know suburban roads outside of mankato and then you get to the other half of the park which is where the where the bison enclosure is and where the hiking club trail is and I think there's even, there's another trail there we haven't done yet that kind of goes down by the river, right? 
Yeah, there are a couple other trails in oh, this okay. park that we haven't done. But I think it's probably interesting for birders because you have that sort of wooded waterfall area in one part of the park. And then the part where the bison are is restored prairie habitat. So it's a whole different habitat for different birds. So I imagine you can probably see different birds depending on what part of the park you're in. Yeah, and you know, not to go off on a tangent, but birds have different... uh different needs in terms of habitat and food sources and things like that and uh, not not all birds put their nests high up in you know uh, in trees uh, the brown thrasher for instance builds nests relatively low to the ground that's why I mentioned the seeing the nest in a lilac bush a few years ago they, they like they like nests that are safe and secure but low to the ground for whatever reason I don't, I, I don't claim to know why that is but yeah if, if you're going to Miniopa Park and birding is like your number one planned activity I would, I would probably encourage you to check out near the waterfall early in the morning. But if you're looking for birds that sort of thrive in more of a prairie habitat, there's definitely plenty to appreciate on that other side of the park as well. I, you know, in, in previous visits, I've seen eastern bluebirds there. Uh, we've seen... I thought we saw other birds there this time, but I, my, my memory is, is not improving with age. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, um, I'll, I'll just say that it, there are definitely... Um, Great reasons to visit both sides of the park, even if you're only going to Miniopa for bird watching. It's also, the past couple hikes we've done, it's been pretty overcast, David, and I know that that's kind of frustrating for you when you're bird watching because it makes it harder to identify birds against a gray yeah. backdrop. You get that silhouette effect and can't always tell what you're looking at, even with binoculars. Okay. Well, is it time to talk about bison? Yeah, I'll let you take the lead on this. Yay! Okay, so... Let's talk about bison. Minnesota currently has one herd of bison that is split between two state parks. Miniopa has a smaller herd, I think between 30 and 40, although I couldn't find sort of firm numbers on the website. The last time they updated it was 2017. Uh, And then Blue Mountain State Park, which is one of our favorites, has the rest of the herd. The herd totals about 130 and uh, The Minnesota DNR is hoping to get that up to around 500 buffalo, 500 bison, the words are interchangeable, across several different state park sites as we continue to grow our herd. A 500 head herd will ensure genetic diversity for about 200 years. So that gives us a pretty good cushion to try to build up a herd. Uh, Bison take up a lot of space. I think we heard between 10 and 11 acres per uh, bison, which would shake out to the 331 acres that Miniopa currently has and a herd of about 30, 30 bison. Okay, I'm getting a little in the weeds here. So as we all probably learned uh, to some extent in our middle school history classes, bison were hunted nearly to extinction during the colonization of this country. There used to be tens of millions of them roaming the prairies and uh All living bison now are the descendants of about 100 bison, which is insane to think of. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that. The conservation success story is that there were ranchers watching the extinction of bison and thinking, this is a majestic animal, we shouldn't lose this. So the way that we kept bison alive was by interbreeding them with cattle. There are a couple things, yes, it kept bison alive. However, as bison kept being bred with cattle, they lost characteristics that 
that let them live in a prairie landscape. I don't know how many of you have ever been out on the prairie in the middle of winter, but it is cold and windy and really can get to be uh, quite terrible conditions. So the bison that had been interbred with cattle couldn't really stand up to these position to these conditions, excuse me. Okay, but we keep going on. We get to a point in our history where genetic testing becomes a thing and the Minnesota DNR says, you know what, we want to hold a herd of bison in the public trust and we wanna manage them like a national, like a, like a resource. So they formed an agreement with the Minnesota Zoo to do genetic testing on the bison that we have here. And they really worked hard to try to get the herd back to a point where they resembled genetically the bison that would have been roaming the Great Plains in the 1800s. And they did it. This is like, this is one of the, the biggest conservation success stories that I can think of. And I get so excited about it because the herds in Minnesota, now if you look at them, they carry no cattle genes, which is a really exciting thing. Bison arrived at Miniopa State Park in 2017. They had been down at Blue Mounds for, for a little while before that. Um, I don't have in my notes quite where or quite when, but there we go. We have bison in Miniopa. They're amazing, beautiful, maybe beautiful isn't the right word, but they are majestic creatures. And seeing them is always such a treat for me and such a, a, a thing that really makes me believe that maybe we can make it through all of the current ecological disasters. You know, we can save species when we put our minds to it. Quick addendum, didn't we recently visit a park that is uh, considering allocating part of their their park space for bison at some point? Yeah, so Lake Louise is, they are very interested in bringing bison back down and have been doing, we'll get to this on the Lake Louise episode, but they've been really working hard to restore the prairie. Cool. So, yeah, just one more fast note on bison. Of all of the bison in the United States, only 7% are held in the public trust, which means that they are held as a living part of an ecosystem and as something for people to see, not necessarily in a zoological setting, but to see in an actual habitat. So there are ones here. There are some out at Yosemite, I think, is the, uh, is the big national park with them. I really encourage you to see our Minnesota bison. They're just incredible. Yeah, it's, um, it's really great to see these creatures being cared for and not just sort of left to the devices of uh, the private farming industry, which, of course, is going to turn them into beef jerky or something or bison jerky, right? Yeah, yeah. that's correct. You can do wonderful things when the profit motive is uh, is removed from uh, from these sorts of things. So yeah, I think that's it. David, did we want to shout out the place that we stopped in Mankato? Uh, I don't know. Are they are they, have they mailed us a check? <laughs> no, but they gave us a they gave us a pretty good lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess yeah. We've never really like divulged this on the podcast explicitly, but I, I've been a vegan for a long time, like fifteen years, vegetarian even longer than that. And uh, yeah, when we're when we're doing our, our travels, we try to find places that can accommodate that sort of diet. And when we were in Mankato, we found a really charming little tea room. I had never visited a tea room of any kind before, but we found a tea room that was not only um, great for having a cup of tea, but also had really great vegan lunch options. So we were able to get a really hearty soup and a really hearty grilled sandwich to go uh, to go with it, and have a few cups of tea. I think you had like. 
nine cups of tea. <laughs> well, you, you, you did like a you did like a tea sample. I did something. a tea tasting while we were there. I'm actually going to name this place because yeah, I, yeah, go ahead. It, it's called Curiosity in Mankato, Minnesota. It's an entirely vegan tea shop. Yeah, everything is vegan. The baked goods are amazing. They let you do a tea testing. So yeah, it was really cold and rainy the day we went to Miniopa. So I yeah. drank about nine cups of tea when we got there. It was just charming, and the proprietor was very nice. Yeah, it was one of those days where, you know, just a soup and a sandwich really hit the spot, and obviously a hot cup of tea even more so. So if you're, if you're, if you're, ever, in, uh, if you're ever in or near Mankato, we encourage you to check out Curiosity. Uh, whether you're vegan or not, I, th- I think you'll like it. And... Um, yeah, lots of great uh, sweets you can you can purchase to go along with your tea or your lunch. Yeah, we had a great time there. We we visited a, a long lost friend of yours, had lunch with her. Hi, Gwen. Hey, Gwen. <laughs> um, yeah, Gwen listens to the podcast. Uh, we think and was kind enough to meet up with us for for a quick lunch. And uh, looking forward to visiting Curiosity and uh, and seeing Gwen again someday. Yeah. So I think that's it. Anything else for this park, David? Oh, I have one more tidbit. This was, Minneopa State Park was founded in 1905, which makes it the third Minnesota State Park. I don't know what the first two were, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Well, we'll learn along the way. So, that's all I got. All right, until next time, adventurers.